This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message. But um, I actually have an unexpected uh, fun announcement that I want to share with you guys. Do you guys want to hear it? Okay, so um, we actually, we've just recently hired a new full-time pastor. You want to meet him? Okay. All right. Uh, Russell Woods, you want to come out? Uh, You want to come on out? Hey, this is Russell. Uh, some of you guys know Russell and who Russell is. Some of you guys are like, like, who's this fur, who's this furry little guy? Yeah. Yeah. We're just trying to, you know, Nolan and I, we're just trying to bring the hairline back forward. And so, you know, we're making progress. Poor poor Russell's going to be muted, muted all night. Do you want him to grab a different mic? No. Another month until he's allowed to speak into a mic. Uh, until he's allowed to speak into a microphone. Okay, let's see what we got here. I don't even know what's happening on the back of here. Okay, try that. Somebody from production, come help this poor man. Okay. Um, well. All right, let's relax. We're not that incapable, okay? Just one of you. All of a sudden, I turn around and Jesus is coming at me. It's my fault. I'm a new guy. I didn't, yeah. I probably didn't turn it on. Yeah. Hey, welcome, Russell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Russell just wanted to join a church that just has everything together already. So, yeah, yeah. So, hey, let me, let me give a little context, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Russell's role. And, and so we just wanted to make a quick introduction. So um, about two years ago, um, uh, Russell started meeting with our team because Russell was planting a church in Portland. And um, he, one of his uh, obligations to planting was actually um, coming and meeting with our church on a regular basis, um, joining our staff meetings and having those interactions. And over the last, over the first year that he was meeting with us, it was like, man, he just kind of fits our culture and DNA. We grew really close. And um, I actually had a meeting with him right before he planted. Um, I don't know if you remember this. And I was like, hey, it's not too late to not plant and just join Rice. And then about a year into planting, I was like, I think the Holy Spirit is still telling you uh, that, that it's time. And I actually met with Russell, and, and uh, I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, man, I know you're in the middle of planting, um, but we have, we've grown a massive amount in COVID, and there's an area um, it, in which we, um, ha- we kind of uh, died off in COVID, and one of the, that area is our group's culture. Um, and so our, our Sunday culture has stayed strong, but we need to revitalize our group's culture. And I kind of 
pitched that to Russell a little bit. And so I said, hey, wh- wh- what, would you, what would you think about uh, start praying about coming and participating and joining us uh, here at Rise? And we know that's a big ask. And so um, the, the incredible timing of that was I actually scheduled that meeting um, right before Nolan said, hey, I'm going to go plant. And I was like, man, this is actually God's timing. Um, because as we all know, uh, Nolan and Lindsay leaving is, is a huge hole in our hearts and in ministry. And so Russell isn't, he's actually stepping into a lot of different roles. He's not, it's not a replacement, but to have him come participate, join our team, it, it really is God's timing. So can you just share a little bit about, you know, kind of that process for you, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, the, your roles. Yeah, so, I mean, for some context, you and I know each other from way back in 2015, yeah. um, from a pastor school we were both a part of. You, were, you had just planted Rise, I believe, that uh, were in the early, early stages of planting, and I was in the... Uh, pre-plant cohort, um, and that's kind of how we knew each other. But yeah, when, when um, I was in the assessment process, that was their, um, they said, you're, you're good to go, we believe in you to plant, but you need to find someone healthy who can mentor you and walk alongside of you, and uh, that connection kind of came full circle. Um, yeah, and then just walking with you guys has been amazing, and what you said has been so true. I, I was, I've been telling a few people this, but when big life changes happen, my counsel often is to practice the, the discipline of waiting on the Lord. And it felt like, I felt kind of like a hypocrite of like, God just opened the door with timing. Just so you guys know, like, Jason had me and Amy out um, to lunch, uh, asked us to come on. And we, um, I just felt from the Spirit, like, I need to take this to my core group before I even give myself permission to process it. And I shared it with the core group. And it was like unanimously like, this is God's timing. We want you to do this. Um, so there was sadness to be sure, but there was no opposition. There was just 100% like, whoa, this is what God had in mind. Um, so yeah, we, you guys grew in COVID. We did not. Um, and, but God was opening a door and he just kind of pushed us through. So um, we're, we're stoked, stoked to be here. Yeah, so I just kind of want to introduce those three areas that Russell is going to kind of be overseeing, and I think it gives a little context to what that looks like. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be young adults, it's going to be groups, and it's going to be a thing called Alpha. So first of all, t- talk to me a little bit about that young adults. Tra- you've been, you guys have been meeting, you and Amy have been meeting with the young adults team. Talk to me a little bit about that transition and that fit and, and how you're feeling about that and what that looks like. Yeah, um, well, a couple things. I, you know, when you first talked to me initially, um, young adults was um, not on the table, but when, with Nolan's transition, that came up later. And so I, I had to kind of process that quickly, but it didn't take long for that fire to set in. When I think about um, young adults being uh, really the future of the church, you guys are the future. I'm looking at you, young adults. You guys are the future of the church, um, and I, like, deeply care about that future, and I care about you. Um, so uh, that fire was quick to set ablaze in my heart, Amy's heart, too. Um, uh, also just, um, as I processed it, uh, meeting some of these young adults, there are some amazing, you guys are amazing. We've got an amazing group of young adults in this church. The future looks really bright, like really bright. Um, yeah, and, and, and I say that also in conjunction with they've had an amazing leader. And so I'm just super like humbled to come into something so good and beautiful um, and super excited about what God will, will do in the future. With that. Yeah, it's yeah. really important for churches. Churches will grow old and not realize it. And, you know, we're a pretty young church overall, um, but every year we get older. 
and if we're not investing in the next generation. And, you know, one of the best things I've ever heard is, you know, how do you reach the next generation? How do you reach the next generation? You don't. You raise up the next generation, and they reach the next generation. And so to see this group of passionate disciples who love the, love the church and love the word and love each other, that is what is going to transform, you know, the future of our city. So we're really, it, it, we're incredibly grateful for, you know, for this emphasis. Um, the second area um, that, that we asked him to oversee is groups. And so we're going to be launching, kind of relaunching groups here on Sunday. Um, we're going to have a meeting with a whole, whole bunch of potential leaders as we, as we relaunch our group's culture. And here's the thing. We have so many new faces. And when we did that spiritual formation survey, one of the most common responses people said, why are you coming to church? They're like, I'm looking for connection. Like I'm looking for friends. And the truth is people will attend a church and they'll come back because they'll hear about Rise. They hear about the buzz. They come. They're like, oh, that's great. You'll only come for so long if you don't find two things. The two things you need is you need community and you need purpose. The, the point of team night is that you would unlock your purpose. But the point of groups is that you would find that community. So can you talk a little bit about that, why that's important to you, what that looks like? Yeah, um, so I... I have a deep passion about community. Um, we were talking about this earlier today, like um, the coming wave or the, the wave that is here of secularism and cultural decline requires that Christians be deep, mature disciples. It requires that. Um, your faith will not survive the coming wave of what is here if you are not becoming a deep, mature disciple. And Sundays are beautiful. They are part of Christian formation, but they are not enough. Um, the life happening week through the week, Monday through Saturday, right? Those are just as important as Sunday, though they're very different. Um, and so what I'm passionate about is creating a community in our community, in our church, where there's such a beautiful maturing and forming happening through the week that we come to Sunday and we celebrate that. So it, it's, it's something that goes with Sunday and it's going to empower Sunday, but like see, that's that term deep discipleship. That's what um, drives my heart to see, like, how are we growing and maturing? Jesus saves us, but then it's on us to mature and, and step with him. Um, yeah, I, I'm really passionate about that. Yeah. yeah. You guys resonate with that? Feel that call? Yeah. I feel like we've made a good hire. Um, and kind of the, the last piece is um, in early next year, we want to launch a thing called Alpha. Some of you guys have heard of Alpha, but Alpha is specifically geared towards non-Christians, okay? And so it's this study type group type thing that is geared towards outsiders. I'm going to actually let Russell explain a little bit more what it is because you, you've done it, you've led it, and so explain what it is, and then we'll talk about why that matters to our church. So Alpha is, um, if you boil it down, it's a video series um, three pillars of Alpha, the video you watch, the meal you have, and then the discussion about the video. Um, those are the three elements of every Alpha. And the point of Alpha is to create an in-between space for people who are coming into our community who are brand new to faith or they're about to commit to Jesus. Um, and it gives them, like, pretty unapologetically, this is our faith. So it's very evangelistically uh, oriented. And for me, as I've done it, the genius of it is it creates a safe space. Because um, you're watching this really excellent video. Um, but what's cool is, what, what differentiates it is if I was speaking or if you were speaking at something like that, and someone disagreed, right? They're coming with a different worldview. It feels way more tense to disagree with a person. But when you're watching a video, oh, I can disagree with the video. And then we get to, when we can disagree, we're getting honest. And that's the, for me, that's the beauty of Alpha is we get people who are not church people 
in the church, being honest and getting comfortable, and they get on a journey of um, following Jesus. Yeah, and what's happening is we're seeing this be effective kind of across the globe, uh, this approach that says, no, no, we are not just um, speaking to uh, churchgoers, but how, how do you connect with people outside? How many of you guys have people you know or love um, that are disconnected from the church and from faith? Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, it sounds like a, a, a pretty important target demographic, okay? And so here's the thing. It is so intimidating for somebody who did not grow up in the faith or does not go to church to show up to church. And you're like, oh, but they'll come to, you know, they'll come to my small group. Like, so what do you do? Oh, we just get in a, you know, we get in a circle and we like confess our sins and we cry and read the Bible. It sounds, doesn't it sound, you know, very welcoming to you, I'm you coming. know? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, I can't wait to sign me up, right? But Alpha is specifically for, they know, no, it's geared for you. It's geared for somebody outside the church. And so, um, so we're going to be uh, continually praying. We have no, a number of people in our church that have been involved in Alpha in the past who, as soon as we started to share that, they're like, we can't wait to see the impact, to see what this looks like. So this is something we want to be, we're moving towards and we want to start praying towards. And so uh, just to kind of end our time, we actually want to show you a video that is kind of an intro to Alpha. And because it's, I just wanted to start, you know, even though it's months down the road, I just wanted to spark that fire and that passion in you. And so it's a two and a half minute video. We're gonna watch it. And then right as soon as we're done, Noel, Noel's gonna come up and, and he's gonna share. But, but I, I wanted to just do, um, begin the work in you of, of begin praying now for the people outside of church and faith that you're like, man, I want to invite them into this and to participate in this. And some of you even are like, man, I, I feel so foundational in my faith. This is is going to be something that is so good for me. So let's check this out. Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions, like why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with, is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. that I thought I wanted. You know, my girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a Beamer, and I was so unhappy. It was a realization maybe that I would, I would never find happiness where I was looking for it. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. I found purpose, I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken and made it a beautiful art piece. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. No, no question is too complex or too simple. 
And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. We are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. feel like really deeply emotionally connected to Alpha at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> such a good video, what the heck? How you guys doing? Yeah, let's go. Good, good. Well, hey, you want to hear something that you can't unsee after I say it? Uh, my older brother's here, and he was like, hey, dude, you kind of look like an evil magician with that haircut and like mustache. I was like, I kind of like that. I don't know if I should like that, but I kind of like that. Uh, hey, we're going to do something different. I've never given a leadership talk, and I'm going to give a leadership talk, kind of. So uh, we're going to go with it. Uh, quick question, though. How many of you guys uh, have been around Rise uh, really uh, once we were in this building and after? How many of you? That's you. You never were part of Rise before we had the building, before we had the building, okay? Raise your hand. Let me see them. Okay, a little more accurate. Perfect. Okay, I asked that weird, so I confused you, but we're good. Uh, so... What that means for me is that uh, maybe more than half of this room is represented by that like question. That you came after we were in this building, so maybe you just don't really know my story in full. Um, the rest of you, how many of you guys are like OG? Like you were here kind of from the beginning. Raise your hand. Okay, so very few. So uh, for, the, for them, they're gonna be really bored, but this is who I am. Uh, so my name's Nolan. Uh, in, uh, when I was 24, my wife and I had just finished up about two years of living in Sacramento, California, where we were part of, we both grew up here, but we moved down there to be part of like a merger, a church merger um, that then was a launch to a brand new church. And so it was like this experience of kind of unique church planting. And it was honestly really fulfilling in a lot of ways. It was lonely. We didn't have people down there other than who we had just met, but it was really fulfilling. Um, but then we got pregnant with my first son, Ollie. And so we moved back to the Portland area uh, because family. And so we moved back here. And honestly, if I'm just really real right now, I was probably depressed. Like I was probably in a pretty dark place uh, in a way that only really my wife would have understood. Uh, because for me, I had, I had this feeling like I lost my purpose. You, you ever been there? Like I lost my purpose. I thought Lord, the Lord is gonna make, like use my journey to make me a pastor. And like now I'm in Portland studying computer programming, which if you know me super well is like not that great of an idea. And uh, so I had been studying for about a year super depressed, our first kid, uh, and really not connected to any church. And then uh, we were invited by Hannah and Tyler Nobes to a small group connected to this new church plant called Rice. And when we were at Rice for so the first couple of weeks, we connected with a very nice young man named Jason Clark. And he was, I think, 29-ish years old. He had just planted a church for about a year. I was 25. And uh, we sat down at one point. Um, and we sat down at Pete's in Happy Valley, if you know where that is, because Lindsay and I, for, the, for all the years of our marriage, other than Sacramento, lived in Oregon City. He, Rise was here at, a, at another church meeting. And so Jason and I would meet in the middle. 
and we would meet at Pete's. And I remember one time he sat me down and asked, like, hey, like, you seem like you have this big calling to ministry. What if you started our youth group? And because his pitch was so compelling, I looked at him and said, I don't really think I want to do that. Uh, like, I, that doesn't sound like me. I don't know. I'm, I'm good. And because he's Jason, he was like, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And so he's like, you have to at least pray about it. And so I was like, okay, I'll pray about it, you know. And I remember driving home, and I knew Lindsay would want to do it less than I did. And so I just said, God, if you really want me to do this, like, I'll take it as a sign if Lindsay's like, you're crazy, you should do this. And so I'm driving home, I literally pray that, get in the door, tell Lindsay the story, and she looks at me and she says, are you crazy? You should do that. <laughs> and now here we are today. And so, <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we start what is now Rise Youth. Uh, we, we end up uh, building a little team of leaders who were Jason's like original youth students. Most of them uh, were like his youth students. And so we started the youth ministry there. Uh, years go by. Um, we, we, I start serving on the executive team. Eventually, uh, through a crazy story, Jason hires me on staff about three years in, and then I became full-time here as a pastor. Uh, we just started a ton of ministries, small groups, all kinds of things, young adults, uh, Rise Academy, like this is what we've given our lives to over the last seven years. And uh, funny within that is in order to move back here, I was like, I don't want to pay a lot. And so we lived in Jason's like ADU. It is like a one person apartment with me, Lindsay and our uh, first son, Ollie. And so th this was like the wild riding the like crazy animal that is Rice City Church story for us. And in that story, I mean, we basically watched the church go from about 100 people, maybe less, to about 1,000 people, give or take, what Sunday we're talking about. And so that's kind of been our story, and that's what we've seen. And so seven years in this church and seven years uh, kind of in ministry isn't a long time. If you are an older person, you're like, I, like, I've been in ministry way, way longer than that, some of you guys would say. Uh, but the truth is, God has used this unique season in a unique, unique way, like in my life. And so what I want to do today is I actually want to just share seven lessons or seven principles that um, I have drawn out over these seven years of writing The Rise Animal. And so uh, if you are taking notes, I would encourage you to do so, or you want to grab a phone and like write some things. I think it helps you remember and stuff like that. Uh, so here, here's the first one. You guys ready? All right. Number one is this. Presence is more important than programs. Come on, somebody. Presence is more important than programs because people are more important than programs, right? First Thessalonians 2.8 says this, so being affectionately desirous of you. Uh, I hear so many pastors say, like, I love being a pastor. I just don't like the people. And I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? You should, like, get a different job. Like, Paul is desirous of the people. They, they, he loves them. And he says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, which is important, yes? We're gonna share with you the gospel, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. See, people are the most important thing in ministry. Of course, we would talk about the gospel and the glory of Jesus, but listen, on the ground level, we are doing this to love people. And so if you are serving at Rice City Church, this isn't like for pastors, this is for you, that you should be, passionate about people. Presence is more important than programs because this is what ministry is at a very practical level. Ministry is people 
giving themselves to other people. That's what ministry is. And so I, I would even argue that there is this thing about uh, the ministry of presence and that this is the most important thing you can do is give yourself to people. Um, I, I, I've had the honor of serving and um, preaching at Trout Creek Bible Camp over most of the seven years. It has been really fun. Um, my wife served at Trout Creek Bible Camp uh, for many years, and it was really instrumental for her. Um, and so we had a relationship with Joe Fallman. Joe Fallman, anybody? Uh, his name, his camp name is Little Joe, and he's a giant man, and so it's just great. And so he's a busy guy. You may know Jordan Fallman. That's his son, okay? And so he is a busy guy, but every time I'm up at camp, he always, despite having like all these papers and all these crazy things to do, stops everything to just be with Lindsay and I. He'll stop everything. Like he has way better things to do, but he'll just look you in the eye and say, you know what, Nolan, how you doing? If you know Joe, that's like a really good impersonation. All right. So Joe is a present and it's actually fascinating because that phrase presence is more important than people is something Jordan Fallman says all the time. And I picked that up from him. His son has picked that up over the years. And so for me, how this has played out is like, to be honest, like I am not Mr. I don't know, task oriented, get it done leader. That's Kristen Friend, okay? And so like, if you want tasks done, I'm not like really your guy. Uh, but the truth is I have constantly saw the value in using tasks to develop people. And so like anytime we've needed to go, hey, we need to go check out a retreat center. I'm like, I don't really wanna do that, but we gotta do that. And so let me call Jordan Fallman and say, hey, dude, jump in the car with me. It's constantly, and I've also realized I can't really invest in every single person that shows up for a ministry. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, if, if you could have 45 coffees or 115 coffees, like you would be really wired. I would be super wired. Like you don't wanna see me doing that. But here's the truth. I can invest in just a few. And so I'm constantly picking like one, maybe three at most people that I'm gonna go like really hard with these people. And I'm gonna say, hey, jump in the car. Let's do this together. And um, this is also true of just like being present at some of the events we gotta do. So we wanna be present with people when we're at events, but we also really want to like, I don't know, um, purpose to be at events when we don't want to be at events. And how many of you guys would be honest and go ahead and raise your hands if you're like, I have had that time where I'm like, I gotta go to a group tonight and I've had a long day and I super don't wanna go to group tonight. You ever been there? All my young adults are raising their hands. What's wrong with you guys? Like put them down, right? You wanna be there, I'm there, let's go. But here's the truth. Like it's those nights sometimes, I'm not saying you shouldn't have boundaries. I'm not saying you shouldn't rest, but it's those nights oftentimes that actually we need to press in the most because there's this thing called spiritual warfare, like IE Sunday, right? But also like this could be an opportunity because the truth is this, this will not be the only event in the church, but it might be someone's only experience with the church. Uh, so the, uh, the first time I ever went to youth group was when I was 16 years old, like in high school. This was like the first real youth group experience before that I used to like go to youth group so I could sneak out and skateboard when I didn't have a car. And so that's kind of, but, but this was the first time I like actually spent time at a youth group and listened to what they were saying. I got guilted into it and it was a throwaway youth night. This is the youth night that typically you wouldn't even have. All right, they had already had three days at a retreat together, and this was like the Wednesday after that. And so um, I remember it wasn't even the youth pastor, Tom Salinas, who was like preaching. It was like his brother-in-law who came in to kind of give like a mediocre talk. And this is what I showed up to. And it was Mark Hammer, and he was going hard on like, you just had this mountaintop experience, but then he started explaining Mark chapter 9. 
And some of you guys know my testimony. He was talking about the glory of Jesus revealed in the transfiguration of Jesus. And as I heard him speaking of the glory of Jesus, my heart began to beat. And that was the exact moment when God spoke to me inaudibly and said, I have always known you. It's time to surrender. And I remember giving my heart to Jesus and being wrecked and praying and like not even fully understanding Jesus. But listen to me, this was a throwaway night at youth group, but it was the night that I got saved by Jesus Christ. Listen, we need to care about being present with people even when it comes to things that we don't wanna be present at. All right, that's number one. That's number one. Presence is more important than program. Some are longer, some are shorter. Number two, aspire not to leadership, but discipleship. Aspire not to leadership, but discipleship. Listen, everyone in our like culture is trying to be some kind of influencer, right? Like everybody's trying to be famous. Everybody's trying to be a leader. But Jesus taught us not to chase after that stuff, didn't he? Jesus, the way of Jesus is not up, but down. It's not up, but down. And so here's what I would contend. We should not serve with the motivation to be like leaders. Like even if you have an aspiration to be a leader, that could be a wonderful thing, but don't serve with that as your motivation. Instead, serve whatever team you're gonna lead in, whatever team you're gonna be part of with the motivation to become a more sincere disciple of Jesus. Man, I just love Jesus. Jesus is the one who saved me. And so I wanna give myself in full service back to him. Second Corinthians 4, 5 says this, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Philippians 2, 8 and 9, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Mark chapter 10, 43 and 45. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, uh, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Two of the dudes I love the most in this church are guys I'm related to, Brandon Jaden and Ken Pettit. And the reason why I love these dudes and, and they're just exemplary guys is because, uh, not because they're leaders, but because they're genuine servants. You guys know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these two guys. These two guys, I don't know if you know this, but they uh, both have led or do lead our uh, safety team here at Rice. And the safety team is phenomenal. Can I get an amen? Like the safety team is where it's at. For the most part, this is super burly dudes. All right, I say for the most part because some of you guys are less burly, but you're still tough in your own way. Like, I love you. But like, they're these kind of burly dudes. They're walking around all manly, trying to like, you know, act hard and make sure no one comes into the church. And they're giving themselves to that every single Sunday to keep our children safe. That is one of the most significant, beautiful ministries in this church. But you know what? They're not just walking around acting hard. They are walking around and you will often see them with this little like, like little pooper scooper, like clasper thing. You ever see that? And they go around and they pick up needles out of the parking lot and they go around picking up garbage and they go around taking out garbage. Nobody's asking them to do this. This isn't even part of the role. They just do it because they wanna exemplify to the children that they are protecting while they're protecting them that we are servants of Jesus and that's it. And so that is what I've loved about watching them serve and them lead. Uh, one of my favorite um, Bible teachers, a guy named Chuck Smith. Anybody Chuck Smith? Chuck Smith, okay. He led uh, the Calvary Chapel movement, which is a big part of like the Jesus movement, which is basically a revival in the 70s, okay? And so uh, he's one of my favorite Bible teachers because he goes really slow, like verse by verse through the Bible, you know? And, and he's just like this rad old dude. 
He's since passed away, but he's a, he was a rad old dude. But here, here's the thing. Uh, so uh, I know a guy who went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, and I asked him one time, hey, did you ever meet like Chuck Smith? Like Papa Chuck, did you ever meet him? And he goes like, yeah, I've, I saw him all the time at campus. And I was like, what? Like, did you hear, like, what would, what would he preach? What would he say? Would he like talk to you? And he said, actually, the majority of the time I saw him, actually the first time I saw him, he was scrubbing the floors of the cafeteria. He would be up in the trees with some of the boys clipping the like palm trees there in SoCal. Why would, why would he do that? Like this is a guy who is world renowned for his Bible teaching. Shouldn't he be up in some kind of ivory tower? Why was he doing that? Well, here's why. Because he was showing that the son of man came to serve, not to be served. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That the lowest place, that just being a disciple of Jesus is enough. That we shouldn't chase after leadership, but we should go hard after Jesus. And sometimes Jesus will throw in leadership as we do that. And so that's uh, number two. Number three is this, if you're taking notes. Not only that, but number three, God will do a lot with a little bit of faith. God will do a lot with a little bit of faith. John 6, 9 and 10 says this. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. I love that line right there, by the way. He's like, all we, he's got thousands of people there. All we have is two loaves, or a couple loaves and a couple fish. And he's like, you know what we're going to do? Have all the thousands of people sit on down. So we're about to feast. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And so we know it's not probably just 5,000, it's just 5,000 dudes. Like there's probably more women and children there hearing the teachings of Jesus. They have this little Lunchable. And Jesus is like, give me your Lunchable. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna feed the masses. God will do a lot with a little bit of faith. And so this is what it's been like for me, like serving at Rice and just honestly walking with Jesus for the time I've been walking with Jesus is it's like you're kind of moving, faith is like moving forward with a foggy window, right? Like a foggy um, uh, you know, window here in your car and you're driving forward kind of slowly and carefully only to see through like a clear rear view mirror that you've been going through a story of God's sovereignty. Like that's what it's like. We, we don't know what God is gonna do with the little bit of faith that we put in him, with the little steps of faith that we make for him. But like in my story, if I just track through the whole thing here at Rise, like we see it really, really clearly in the rear view mirror because God does a lot with a little bit of faith. So for instance, uh, like I said earlier, Hannah and Tyler Nobes, and by the way, uh, they were our, our good friends before this. I just gotta show you this OG picture of them. Like, how good is that? How good is that? This is like little Hannah and little Tyler Nobes before we all had kids. And that's like our cat that died. And so <laughs> there it is. But like these guys at this age invited Lindsay and I to rice. And neither couple knew that we were going to spend the majority of our lives like here at this building and like running all these events and doing all these crazy things. But like what they did see was, hey, Nolan and Lindsay need community. That's it. They said, Nolan and Lindsay need community. Maybe we can invite them to our small group. And in the rearview mirror, we see really, really clearly what God's sovereign hand was doing. Amen. Um, when we uh, think about the problems that we face, this is also true. Um, so uh, for those of you who weren't here in the early days when we were mobile church, I just want to say this, you're welcome. Okay. 
like you're welcome forever. Uh, because like, especially with youth group, we had to uh, meet at all these random different buildings. And <laughs> I would literally like take a trailer behind my like ghetto vehicle and we would roll in and set it all up every night and then tear it all down and reload the trailer. It was crazy. And the worst thing was we, we would gain a lot of traction at one location. And then because I, I was the youth pastor and probably should have taken better care of the space and we had youth there, they just destroy things and we get kicked out. And so like uh, it, it came about that we were, I mean, we were reaching probably over 100 students at one point at this one church. And uh, like rightfully so, they kicked us out because we had 100 students there breaking things. And so we had to move to another building. And it was crazy because uh, I remember that night, I was like so discouraged, but also I had a bullhorn and I was just yelling to the kids and we had the music bumping. I was like, what's up, Rise Youth? Get in here, it's gonna be awesome. And the neighbors probably hated us and, and it was awesome. Uh, but what was crazy was there was a family that came outside and just watched me like yelling at all these children. They're like, who is this crazy guy? And then that next week, they had two teenage girls walk across the street and end up coming to our youth group who have become, uh, you know, two significant gals in both our youth and our young adults ministry. Now their sister is coming and all this stuff and they're a wonderful family. But that wouldn't have happened. We would never have connected with their family unless we were put in this weird position where we were in their neighborhood with my like outrageous bullhorn. And so like God, we look at things and we're like, that's an obstacle. And God looks at it and is like, no, that's my orchestration in my sovereign will. Um, and another one is just fascinating. Um, so you are sitting on top of a, a skating ring right now. This is a skating rink. Uh, you can't tell anymore uh, because the, we have an amazing facility team. Uh, but underneath you are written names. And that is because Jason, our lead pastor, and the rest of the leadership team said, hey, we're going to get together. We're going to come to the building, and we're going to write down names. And we're going to write their names down as a prayer that God would see them saved here at Rise City Church and meet Jesus. And so uh, he, this is a picture of my son, Ollie. I think it's November 5th, 2018. And he is writing on the ground in his very wonderful, awful handwriting. Um, he is writing down, you can't read it, but it says anti-cat. Anti-cat, and that's my wife's aunt cat. And at the time, she was like, kind of like jokingly into paganism and like not into Christianity. And so he writes this name down, like that's a lot of faith right there. And he's praying for her because she was a sweet lady and he, he loved her. Um, and then I want to show you like literally a year later, this picture, November 3rd, 2019, almost to the day she started listening to the podcast. She started coming down and visiting. She's from the Seattle area. And we got to baptize her with just a little bit of faith that Ollie put on this ground one year earlier. Um, <laughs> good job, Ollie. Good job, Ollie. Um, one of the more significant ones for me personally is just to see uh, that um, seven years ago when we started Rise Youth, it was uh, this little fuzzy-headed teenager who Lindsay used to babysit named Jordan Fallman, who came to one of the earliest days of the youth group, and we were hanging out with him, and he had so much like love for Jesus and a big old Bible that was bigger than his body. And so I just remember we're like, we're going to pour into this dude. And uh, some of you guys are from the OG Rise Youth days, and, and you know we just poured into him. And now years later, he is one of the most significant significant leaders, not only in our church, but in our city, and, and ultimately is, is taking on the role here at Rise Youth as I step out. And that is what a beautiful thing God does. We don't know what he is going to do with our little steps of faith forward. And then last one here on this just fascinating that um, four years ago is when I went on staff here at Rise in 2018. And um, 
it's crazy because Jason was sick of me working all these little part-time jobs and being exhausted and like a, a joke of a human being. And so he's like, I'm going to find a way to get this guy hired. And, and so he went out with faith and he asked a, a local, tr- started with one local church and they literally looked at him. It was Cornerstone Christian Church. And they looked at him and said, hey, we're just going to like buy the whole thing. And so they gave us tens of thousands of dollars so that I could be a pastor here at Rice City Church. And um, that was a, a unique and a beautiful moment where they gave to us right? Like they gave to us. And four years later, one of my good buddies, Skylar, he was in a really toxic church in a really bad situation after Bible college and all this stuff. He's a tremendous leader, a tremendous man of God. But he said, hey man, I just long to move back to the Northwest. Do you know of any jobs? And so I reached out to Barry, who was the pastor of Cornerstone Church. I was like, like, you know more people than we do. Do you know anyone who's in need of like a young lead pastor? And uh, he goes, that's weird because we and the elders have been praying that someone would even randomly reach out to us because I'm looking for my replacement. And uh, that started a conversation that led to Skylar flying over, them getting another team. And now Barry recently told me that this is one of the best seasons the church has ever been in with Skylar as the lead pastor of Cornerstone Christian Church. And it's just such a moment to see that they gave in faith to this random dude with tattoos and who shouldn't be a pastor, but they're gonna give money for him to be a pastor. And then years later, the Lord used our story to give them their lead pastor in this season. Um, So that's number three, that ultimately God will do a lot with a little bit of faith. Number four is this, work hard in the local church, but work harder in your little church. Work hard in the local church, but work harder in your little church. And what I mean by that is in your family, if you're a mom or if you're a dad. John Tyson writes this, if you don't impart values to your son, the culture will impart its values to your son in their place. Uh, and that would, that would be true of both sons and daughters, that God cares first and foremost for you to pastor, to shepherd, to love, to serve your family. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, and, those, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. First Timothy 3, 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 1 Timothy 3.12 says this, let deacons or servants, that's you and me in some ways, right? Uh, Each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Listen, our goal is not just to have an amazing church. Our goal is to have an amazing kids ministry full of little kids that love Jesus. Our goal is that we want our kids to say, man, I love that you served at Rice City Church while I was growing up. I love that we served the local church. Listen, my biggest fear in life uh, is literally this, that I would give so uh, heavily, that I would push so hard in the local church that my kids get bitter, that get left out, get neglected, and ultimately walk away from Jesus because of my service of the local church. You guys feeling me on that? Like, that is my biggest fear. And guess what? Like, I don't need to be alleviated of that fear. 
Like I should be very afraid of that. Now, I'm not saying that we wouldn't want to work hard. What I'm saying is we want to work hard in a way that our kids understand the mission and participate in it. And we need to work even harder in our homes discipling our kids. Now, recently I was reading a church planning book and he was kind of talking about this and I thought it was fascinating that he said, what, what's interesting is when you're serving a local church, you're gonna have nights where you're like, man, I'm out late this night. Like I'm out late and maybe I'm like filling the baptismal or something random and I can't put my kids down. But he's like, but you have an advantage. You have access to the church's baptismal, you guys. Like you could bring your kids and throw like a little mini swimming party and all this stuff. He's like, and so we would. He's like, maybe you're serving in youth ministry and, and there's like always extra boxes of pizza because God multiplied the loaves and fishes and the pizza, right? And so I don't know why it is. There's always like two extra boxes. He's like, take a quarter of it home and give your kids pizza for breakfast, right? So that they are, they are having these moments alongside you, that you are not neglecting them for the sake of a large church, but you are pouring into them as they, with you, serve the church, amen? That we wanna have kids that love Jesus. This is one of my favorite uh, moments in my ministry is before, uh, when Rise Youth was really getting started, um, I didn't have a crazy setup team, and so I recruited the best, if we could show that picture real quick. This dude right here, uh, this is Ollie when he was like, I don't know, what is he, three, three and a half here? But he's like just a savage, helping me carry tables, all this crazy stuff. Like he's varsity, full blown. And so, uh, yeah, man, like in what creative ways can I use how I'm serving to disciple my kids? All right, I gotta move fast. Number five, <laughs> number five, there is power in your weakness. There is power in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, now this is Paul talking, right? And I'm gonna give you a little bit of context. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he prayed three different times. God, let me get rid of this thorn in my flesh. And God basically says to him, no. And we see why right here. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, we oftentimes want people to know how awesome we are. And so we try to act like we have it all together as Christians, don't we? Like if you're new to the church, this is the jacked up thing that we do is we want to impress people. We want people to think we're awesome. And when we try to impress people, it might build us up. It really can you can try to fake it and you can try to seem awesome and you can pretend like you have no problems and it will build you up. But when you are vulnerable, it builds others up. When you admit to your weaknesses, when you say, man, if it wasn't for Christ, I would be ruined. When you show people not your dirty, rotten past, but your dirty, rotten present and say, I am dealing with this. Those are the moments that people connect with you deeply because what it says is you can do it too. You can do it too. Um, one of the most powerful moments was uh, recently I, I was preparing a sermon and I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I always run them by Lindsay, my wife. And uh, then she fixes all the problems and tries to convince me not to say the offensive things. And, and then I do it anyway. And then she's mad. And, and so, but she usually tries to help me critique my sermons. And one of the things uh, I taught recently was about the brokenness of this fallen age. And she was like, you should talk about Remy. You should talk about your struggle as you look at Remy. Remy's my middle son and his eye turns in because he has poor vision in it. And it's like, it's this really painful thing for me because I'm like, I just don't want, I don't want this. How do we fix this? And you can't fix it. And so it's, it's, it's been this frustrating thing. And at the time I was like, like, no, like I'm not gonna share that. And I was kind of getting emotional. I was like, I'll be emotional on stage. Like I'm not over this yet. And she was like, that's the exact reason why you should share it because you're not over it yet. 
This isn't healing from your past. This is something you're dealing with in the present. And I'll tell you this, when I preached that message, like I have never had an outpouring of response like when I preached that message. I mean, I had two ladies prophesy over me. Like I had two, tons of people, leaders from other churches, texting me, praying for me, praying for me. It was an outpouring of love. Uh, and then number six, ministry is less about what you do and more about who you are. Less about what you do and more about who you are. First Thessalonians 1, 5 and 7 says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Listen, people aren't gonna remember anything you said. You ask anybody who grew up in the church, like, tell me about the sermons you learned when you were growing up. They're like, oh, I think the guy was like, okay. They can't tell you a single thing. They don't remember the stick statements. They don't remember the important, you know, like ideas. They can barely remember the Bible verses. People will not remember what you said, but they will remember who you were. They will remember your character. They will remember who you are. And if on the one hand I'm saying that you should be vulnerable with your jacked up weaknesses because that will draw people into your heart and tell them they can do it too. On the other hand, we need to hold this intention with we need to be the real thing. That we need to strive to genuinely let Jesus work on us. It is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Like we wanna keep growing. We need to, and a number of years ago, um, I was in a season where like, I was really struggling for money. And I remember uh, this was a season that, that uh, you know, I got to the point where I was like giving blood at the blood bank because I was like, oh, I just need just a little bit more to make sure I can pay these bills and all this stuff. And I was working a bunch of jobs and uh, I was still serving a rise youth. And I remember Jason um, actually rolled up like to my house and he was like, hey dude, I noticed on like planning center that you're not like giving to the local church anymore. What's going on with that? And uh, man, to be honest, like that was a moment for me. I was in this chair and he, he rolled up on me. I was like, who is this guy? Like, how does he even know I'm not like giving right now? Like what kind of snoop? But like, for whatever reason, he had been notified of this and he was like willing to put our relationship on the line. Because when you do something like that, that is a, that is a, a scary thing to do if you're in Jason's seat right there. Because what you're doing is going to be confrontational, it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to dig into someone to the point that I could have left as a leader. I could have been like, who are you and what do you, what do you care? Like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm struggling for money and all this stuff. But he was willing to put that on the line, this potential that I would leave, because he cared more for me as a person, for me as a disciple of Jesus, than whether or not I was a leader at Rice. And this was a moment where, like, honestly, the Lord penetrated my heart and was like, dude, are you the real thing, bro? And that, I, I constantly look back to that moment as a moment where I was called to the mat to become the real thing, to actually deal with stuff, to actually be honest about where I was. And so, much less than what we can produce and the widgets that we can create, we need to care about who we are in our inmost character. And then last one is this, this one, number seven. Ministry is, now, let me just say this. I just talked really, really fast. If you take nothing away, will you please take this away? If you take nothing else away, will you please take this away? Number seven, ministry is people who need Jesus telling people who need Jesus all about Jesus. That's it. Ministry is people who need Jesus telling people who need Jesus all about Jesus. First Timothy 1, 13 through 14. The amazing church planter and apostle extraordinaire, Paul, writes this. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, 
But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was a blasphemer who met Jesus and decided to tell everyone else who needs Jesus about Jesus. That's his story. Um, I heard uh, this quote early on in my faith, and I think it's been transformative for me. It is essentially this, that Christians are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. In the last breaths of Martin Luther, the great reformer's uh, dying moments, what he said was this, we are all beggars. That all we are is people who are broken. All we are is people who are desperate. All we are, are is sinners who are desperately in need of the waters of grace. That's it. And then because we have experienced and drank from that deep well of Jesus Christ, we are telling everyone we possibly can, don't follow me, but just follow me over to the one who can lead you at the very deepest levels of your soul. So here's what we're going to do. I'm, um, I'm going to just f finish out with this. I would like to uh, read something. And this is out of a book called The Imperfect Pastor. Um, I'm going to read this. And typically what happens when you read something is people start to fall asleep. Uh, I don't know what that is with human beings, but like, here's what I ask. Like, don't fall asleep. Like, <laughs> zoom into this. I know it's the last thing here, but I just want you to pay very, very close attention to, to this story. He is redefining leadership. This is a guy writing The Imperfect Pastor and trying to redefine leadership, not as becoming someone great, but being someone who serves because we've met someone great. Let's read. It's this beautiful story. He's a pastor. He says, I was asked to visit a middle-aged woman in the community. Mentally, she was four or five, though she had lived 40 or 50 years. When I walked through the door, she was bibbed, trying to tackle a plate full of spaghetti. She smiled wide with wonder as I sat down beside her. Who are you, she asked, covered with red sauce and noodle pieces. My name is Zach. I'm a pastor, I answered. She immediately and excitedly responded. I have learned the Our Father by heart, she said. Want to hear it? I'd love to, I said. After proudly reciting the Lord's Prayer, she declared Psalm 23 from memory. Did I do good? She asked. You sure did, I said. I believe in God, she continued. He loves me. I love him. He died on a cross for me. He will come and take me home one day. She said this quite seriously, staring straight into my eyes. It was as if she knew what my role was, that to talk about God with a pastor is normal. She was assessing me too, perhaps detecting what kind of pastor I was. She suddenly dropped her fork, held out her spaghetti-covered, saliva-sprinkled hand, and said, you want to pray? Take my hand. I did. And we prayed to God with our wet spaghetti hands in a living room unknown to the world, by cher but cherished by him. After reading that, I reflected on it. And the first thing you notice is that, like, ministry is simply holding a spaghetti hand, isn't it? That's all we're doing. But as I, like, have been mulling on this story all week, the only reason that we are empowered and equipped and called to hold spaghetti hands is because Jesus Christ held our spaghetti hand first. We are just a people who have had our spaghetti hands held by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we are a people who turn around and hold spaghetti hands. That's leadership. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just give you glory. We thank you for the great treasure it is to follow Jesus. We thank you for the great beauty it is that he has loved us at our lowest. We thank you for um, just the grace that you've poured out on this church. And every person who's walked through the doors Sunday after Sunday, um, they have been drawn in by you, to you, and for you. And so, Lord, we want to set our affections right where they belong on you. God, I pray that we would not seek after roles and titles and abilities and um, or anything else other than just you. You are the great treasure. You are the thing, you are the treasure in the field that we would sell all we have just to go by that field and dig and find you. But we thank you that um, we're sitting here among beggars. We are sitting here among brothers and sisters who've experienced your grace. And God, may we as a people continue to just drink deeply of that grace. Uh, we don't deserve your love, but Lord, you've poured it out lavishly. You have poured it out to the full. And Lord, as we sing, I pray that we would be reminded of that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.